Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console. Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 7th, 2021, including no actual Xbox news again, a preview of what's coming to Xbox in 2021, a new study suggests that Xbox fans on average have bigger dongs than PlayStation fans, and more. That's right, we're starting off uh, 2021 with a wee-wee joke, so there's that. Now, as a reminder, this week I am recording on Tuesday night instead of the usual Wednesday night, so I just really want to put that out there in case for whatever reason something big happens on Wednesday, and then on Thursday when the podcast goes live, you're like, oh, why didn't he cover uh, that on Wednesday? Phil Spencer stripped it down to his boxers and ran around New York City like a maniac without a mask on saying, COVID is a joke and the earth is flat. And I'll say, ah, because I recorded Tuesday, you idiot. So just want to put that out there again. Now, as you may have heard at the top of the show, this is another one of those, you know, it's always like this, the the very end of December, the very beginning of January, where there's just no news. You know, you go to the uh, IGNs and the Windows Centrals and uh, and the true achievements and all the websites you normally go to. And it's just a bunch of fluff pieces and just little stuff here or there where there's just not much of anything at all because there's no real news happening. No one's really trying to announce anything of note during this time of the year where we're all just kind of taking some time off and recouping and, you know, whatever, getting ready for the new year. So with that said, this week will be probably the last one for a long time, but the another episode of just kind of interstitial evergreen content where we'll talk about whatever. I have a fun segment planned for this day, so we will do the regular run of show with the comments and whatnot and the what I've been doing this and that. But then uh, our, our segment this week is actually going to be a kind of a look forward to 2021 in Xbox and you know, kind of the games coming out and all those things. So I'm excited to actually talk about that. I've got a lot of games and notes written here that I'm we'll go through. But with all that housekeeping out of the way, guys, let's jump in to the comments. So this week, I actually want to start the comments out up. Sorry, I want to start the comments with some leftovers from last week. You you might remember last week, I asked for you to write in with your favorite games or moments of Xbox for the year 2020. And a handful of you guys wrote in and as I expected a handful of you, you know, wrote in later after the show went live because everyone's different. You know, you listen to the show when you get around to it. I don't expect you to drop everything and listen to this show just because it went live on Thursday. So some of you guys listened a little later, then commented a little later, which is totally fine. So I figured since it's a slow week anyway, we'll get some of your guys' uh, picks and comments about that in here, and then we'll do our general comments. So start with that. And as a reminder, if you ever want to Right in, uh, you can always go over to youtube.com, search up Second Best Gaming, that's my channel, don't ask me why it's called that, and then you'll find the Xbox On Podcast, where I upload the every week's episode up there, so you can go ahead and comment on the latest episode, and I will probably read your comment on the show, because I read pretty much every comment that gets posted. So, with that said, our first comment comes from Emmanuel Pereira, who says, I've been out of the Xbox ecosystem since the 360. Always been a Nintendo guy. After hearing about the Series X and what it had to offer, I was so hyped for it. 
I managed to get one at launch, and I'm so happy I did. I've been playing a bunch of games that I missed on Xbox One, like Rise, Son of Rome, and maybe my new favorite game, Sunset Overdrive. That's a great pick. Uh, that game is just so good. I just finished it this past weekend and immediately bought all the DLC. Since I'm a newly returned Xbox uh, fan, my top five of 2020 will be all over the place. Five, Animal Crossing. Four, The Outer Worlds. Three, Grounded. Two, Cyberpunk 2077. And one, Sunset Overdrive. I know I'm a bit late to the party, but I'm here now and I cannot wait for more. Thank you for writing in, Emmanuel. I actually really like this uh, comment because I can relate in a large sense in that, you know, I, I used to be something of a, of a Nintendo guy myself. Uh, I mean, during the OG Xbox days, I liked the Xbox and I played it when I could, but we didn't have one in my home. We didn't get one until like the very end of the Xbox original generation. So I didn't have too much exposure to Xbox other than like going to other people's house to play it or when my brother-in-law would come over with his. I, re I relate to this whole Nintendo guy thing because during my youth, you know, I grew up in a household where we always had PlayStation. But even that, I didn't play too, too much because I was always enamored with Nintendo. You know, N64, GameCube, Game Boy. Um, even when I was a little bit younger, I remember my, one of my older brother's friends, like, had this ROM of just, like, literally hundreds of NES and SNES and Genesis games. And so much of my exposure to gaming was actually playing the, the hits of, like, the late 80s and in early to mid 90s that I had missed because I was so young and playing them via emulation on PC. And so just a lots and lots of Nintendo exposure for me growing up. And, and Nintendo was this thing I just kind of carried with me forever until pretty recently. I mean, I, I was a pretty big Nintendo fan up through the days of the Wii U. It was only around the time the Switch came out that I really started waning with my, uh, my love in defense of Nintendo. And with that, you know, I always kind of carried that along with my love for Xbox, which I really started developing at the very beginning of the 360 days because one of my older brothers got a 360 uh, within, the, the, within the first few months it came out. Luckily, at the time, my dad worked for Blockbuster, rest in peace, so he was able to, like, snag us a uh, 360 back when they were impossible to get. So anyway, that's that's too much exposition. But the reason why I like this comment is because I was a big Nintendo guy through much of my upbringing. And I always kind of juggled it with Xbox. There was I'd go through little phases where I was like, oh, you know what? 360 is better than X than Nintendo. I just I just like Xbox better these days. I'm growing up. And then I go through phases where I'd be like, oh, Nintendo's got, you know, my nostalgia's my nostalgia by the balls. I just got to can't I can't say no to Nintendo. And then. But these days, especially throughout the generation of the Xbox One, I really just stopped giving a shit about Nintendo. And at some point, it became like this this weight off my shoulder when I, when I was just like, you know what? I'm fucking done, Nintendo. Just go ahead and port every fucking game I already bought on Wii U over to Switch and go make a bunch of, like, just okay sequels to games that used to be much better and let IGN give you 10 out of 10 left and right and fawn over literally everything you put out. You could literally shit in a Nintendo Switch case and sell it for 60 bucks, and it would be on the NPD charts for the next three years. But, I mean, like, n no shade to anyone who's enjoying Nintendo right now, but I've just had a huge falling out with Nintendo during the Switch era, and I just it's just been really hard for me to have any enthusiasm for them. So I relate to you in that I feel like I, there's, there's something of, like, a, a history of, like, Nintendo paired with Xbox that I can relate to, and I didn't really need to get into that much detail to really express that, but that is what makes Xbox on what it is, is me getting a little too sentimental and in the weeds about literally everything that's trivial. So thank you for bearing with me through that. But anyway, I think you put some great games up here. You say Animal Crossing, which I can't speak to. I didn't play it, but I mean, I used to fucking love Animal Crossing. I used to play every entry. That's just the 
I just can't speak to that one because I haven't I haven't played the the newest one or I assume you're talking about the newest one because you don't specify which entry here. But anyone talking about Animal Crossing right now is probably talking about the the most release the most recent release for Outer Worlds. That's a really phenomenal game. Grounded. I think artistically, I just love that game, but I, I couldn't get into it. But I'm I'm really glad that game's found success. Cyberpunk yet again. We're seeing a bunch of people really love Cyberpunk despite the kind of overwhelmingly negative conversation surrounding it. And then you put Sunset Overdrive at number one, which is, I mean, what a great selection. Sunset Overdrive is, in my opinion, the number one most underrated game of the Xbox One generation, and it's not even close. I mean, it's no secret. I make it widely known on this podcast that Insomniac is now Sony-owned. It's it's one of my all-time favorite video game developers. And and to me, Sunset Overdrive is the absolute, like, pinnacle of, of their game design philosophy. Just the fluidity, the traversal of that game is just unlike anything we've ever played before. A lot of people like to compare it to like Spider-Man cross Tony Hawk, but I don't even think that does it justice to it because I really think Sunset Overdrive, you know, controls and moves like nothing else. And it really is just such a special game. And then you've got the gun selection and wacky combo or wacky arsenal that's very similar to like a Ratchet and Clank, which is another franchise of theirs that I deeply love. So Sunset Overdrive and then paired with that really awesome like punk rock aesthetic and the incredible soundtrack and just everything about that game is so goddamn good. So I'm really glad you're enjoying kind of getting back into Xbox. I hope your Series X treats you well. And just remember, Nintendo's still good, but why would you play Super Mario something something ported 500 times on the Nintendo Switch for $60 when you could play Yakuza ported to Xbox Series X after being exclusive to PlayStation 3 for 10 years. So I'm raising some eyebrows here. So anyway, our next comment here comes from Eddie Lawson who says, All right, late, but okay. I got my first ever Xbox this year with the Series X. So with Game Pass, it's been great to see all the library. My list will have both old and new games. And then you go from five to one, you say, and I don't think I didn't notice you guys correctly formatting these comments with the five to one, unlike last week where people were heathenistic going one to five. But anyway, Eddie says, number five, Ace Combat 7, Skies Unknown, four, Forza Horizon 4, three, Minecraft Dungeons, two, Sea of Thieves, and one, The Outer Worlds. Honorable mention, Descenders. Well, Eddie, that's a pretty solid list as well. The Outer Worlds making an appearance twice in a row, back to back. Sea of Thieves, good to see that game still doing well with its audience. And then Minecraft Dungeons, That's it. I think that's such a good one to have on the list. I feel like Minecraft Dungeons didn't get nearly enough love, and I don't know how because it's Minecraft, but I thought that was such a fun dungeon crawler. Like, again, I didn't play Animal Crossing, but of all the, like, cutesy, fun, just unwind ideal games to just, like, I don't know, just sit on the couch and un- and just relax or maybe even throw a controller to a friend or a sp- or significant other and just kind of have a-, a casual night of gaming, I think Minecraft Dungeons was just the perfect game last year for that, and I wish it had... A little more attention surrounding it, but I, I get it. I get it. We gotta we gotta instead play that SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom remake. That was the bigger game, right? Sarubi jumps in next and says, I know I'm a, a week late to the conversation, but my games of 2020 are number three, Quantum Break. Played this for the first time and I could not put it down. Loved it all loved the way it integrated the TV show in between each chapter ending and the time bending slash gunplay felt tight. I'll agree with that. Yeah, the the gameplay the gameplay in Quantum Break feels so tight, and in fact, I'd argue Quantum Break feels tighter than Control, which is Remedy's game they made after Quantum Break, and maybe that's just because they had Xbox Xbox money backing it and maybe a little more time to develop it. I don't know, but to me, Quantum Break feels like from a polish and production level, like a higher 
budget, nicer game than Control, and and I think it is. Uh, it probably definitely was. They had you know bigger publisher funding and more dev time. But uh, I loved Quantum Break, and again, I will never get over the fact that they somehow, they somehow pull off the TV show slash gameplay thing flawlessly. Like that should have. It's such an awful idea, and there's it literally has everything going against it, and there's no reason under any circumstance that that should have worked out, and it did. Like the whole, you finish a chapter of the game, you put the controller down, you watch 30 to 35 minutes of this TV show, and then you get back to the game. I don't know how the fuck they pulled it off, but it works so well, and it solves an issue that I think so many games have, especially of this kind of genre or caliber, where it's like if the games, you know, if the if the gameplay of, of the game is always, you know, taking cover, shooting, guns, 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 combat, death, then you really lose opportunities to slow the storytelling down and and provide, you know, dialogue and character development because it's just always killing. And Quantum Break really addresses and solves that problem by having these TV show parts, because it's like, how do we convey storytelling that wouldn't necessarily be fun to play, but really serves this game well? And, I mean, the TV show supplement was exactly the key, or at least in the case of Quantum Break, was exactly the solution to that problem. And I just, I've never seen a game tackle that, in my opinion, widely spread issue, you know, so elegantly. Love Quantum Break, love that selection. And then number two, you put Control. Speaking of Remedy, you say Control, another Remedy game. And this one has me all kinds of hype to see where they're going to take the connected universe. The game had its performance issues, issues, but all in all, it's a massive, as a massive Remedy fan, this game just hit me on all the right notes for more. More, please. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like I just kind of shit on Control a little bit by, by comparison, but I, I definitely like Quantum Break better than Control, but I love Control and I really love. Again, it's it's Remedy Remedy's bread and butter is from a storytelling perspective, they push games in, in, in new ways and they push new boundaries and really explore different genres of storytelling with their games. And I think Control does that really nicely with their their tackle of the the new weird genre, which in, in the case of this game, I, there's still just so much I don't understand about it. But I have a really big admiration for the setting and, and just the trippiness and the creative kind of storytelling they use in this game the gunplay is really good and the mechanics feel really good but again it's it doesn't feel like that level of polish that quantum break had but still a very very fun game definitely worth checking out if you are even remotely interested in in remedy games if you liked quantum break alan wake max Payne, anything like that i think control is a must play that being said i'm a little bit of a hypocrite because i still haven't gotten around to any of that dlc and then lastly for number one you put halo 4 now, this isn't a new one, but it's the first time I've played it since I finished it on the 360, and I must say two things. Firstly, my god, how gorgeous does that game look now that they've dropped the 4K patch? I remember it looking pretty, but god, but hot damn. Secondly, I found a new appreciation for what 343 did with the story. I certainly wasn't a fan of it when I played through it the first time, but revisiting now has given me has given me a much greater understanding of everything. I delved deeper into the books prior to 4 launching, but the story still just didn't sit right with me. Kudos to 343 for sticking with the Master Chief Collection and making it what it is today. Also, I played it through the I played through the campaign with G with with K Dog, and it gave me all the nostalgia vibes of Couch Co-op from the Bungie era. Special mention to Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's the first. It's my next gen game of 2020. Ashamed to admit it, but I've never finished uh, Odyssey. But Valhalla has me hooked hard. So Halo 4, I'll never argue with that. That's a really that's a really nice addition or a really cool addition. A lot of people put Master Chief Collection on their list, but you specifically 
keyed in on a, on a single title from the Master Chief Collection and quite possibly the boldest title to pick because Halo 4 is one of the most divisive Halo games right there next to 5. But I'm glad to see that the story's grown on you to some extent and that you've been able to find some appreciation for 343's Halo. I, I feel like sometimes I do... I mean, I, I hope... You know, you guys know when you're listening to the show and that I go on my Halo rants that obviously I'm kidding for the most part. You know, I'm just I'm being lighthearted. I'm just trying to be goofy. I, I mean, obviously, I, I rip on the Halo community for hating these 343 games because, I mean, I just I can't stand the constant hate and negativity in the community surrounding Halo and the fact that people can't appreciate new creators are going to take a, an existing franchise and, and make it their own rather than try and re- recreate the same shit you've always had. But I, I don't mean to shit on anyone who isn't a fan of Halo 4 or 5 or takes issue with the way 343 approaches Halo. I think especially with justly backed criticism, uh, you're entitled to your own opinion and, and you're fine to think whatever you think. But it always warms my heart to see people either enjoy a 343 Halo game or come around to it if they weren't, you know, initially hot on it because it is, I I get how it's hard, you know, like I I gotta be, I gotta be honest because I do so much like 343 like dick sucking and PR for them with my, with my constant defense of Halo 4 and 5, but like I, I get it, like the, if, especially if like you've never played a Halo game and then you just jump from 3 to 4 or something, it's like, it's, it's jarring like from an aesthetic perspective, the kind of creative liberties they've taken with the art style and the world and just Halo obviously feels very different once you jump into 343's world and out of Bungie's. And and I get how it's like, hey man, this is just not my thing. This is not what I want from Halo. I can respect that. You know, it's kind of like Star Wars to an extent. I always compare Halo to Star Wars. It can be really jarring to jump from you know, uh, Return of the Jedi, and then go to episode one, The Phantom Menace, and be like, what the fuck? Like, how is this, like, how is this supposed to be, like, 30, 40, whatever years before the events of A New Hope? Like, how is anyone supposed to believe that the difference between, like, episode three and episode four is, like, a 30-year gap? Because, holy fuck, man, like, it's, like, it's an entirely, it's an entirely different, different world they've built here like everything looks different the aesthetic is entirely different the way people talk is entirely different just it's not even remotely the same universe so i i get how that can be jarring and off-putting and you can not be a fan of the way new creatives take the story and the characters and their interpretations but i think when you really judge halo 4 on its own merits when you really judge halo 5 on its own merits and try to let it just be its own thing which is admittedly hard when it's so so intentionally tied to the the games that came before it you know i i can understand how it's hard to just look at the two things side by side and be like this just isn't halo but i don't know i think if you can somehow keep an open mind and and just accept that i don't know different people are going to interpret uh, the different franchises their own way and i i think once you embrace that rather than criticize it for not trying to be what you know what we all think of as Halo, then I think you can really enjoy what really matters, which is whether or not they told a good story, whether or not the story they told is is true to the heart of the franchise. And I think that's what matters with Halos 4 and 5 is that I think the stories they try to tell are true to the are true to the Halo universe and true to the characters. I think, you know, you can talk about how it's like they've gone like too sci-fi or Master Chief talks too much, but when you talk about like the evils they face and like the character development explored in Halos four and five, it's like, I think these characters and these events are true to the universe that Bungie set up. 
it's it's a different yes, but is it is it something like whether you whether or not you like the execution? Is it something that you think could have been like hand, like for example, people like to hate on Halo Five because they think the story is trash. Okay, is the concept of the story trash, or is it the execution of the story trash? Is it the fact that like Master Chief's like being hunted by by you know Team Osiris and 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 that's a stupid idea, or is it that they didn't handle that story well? And I think when you think of it like from that perspective, you can say, I, I mean, the stories they're trying to tell, the ideas they have here are pretty cool. And I, I mean, you don't you don't review a game or give it credibility based on what the intention was. You you do it based on the execution. I understand that. That's fair. But I don't know. It's three four three. I think has the right ideas and has all the right intentions and really does love this franchise. But <laughs> they're different. They're not Bungie. You know, for better or for worse, and sometimes it is better and sometimes it is worse, they are not Bungie. So it's it's always exciting when people can make the most of, I don't know, when people can find the good and, and embrace what makes it different, but also still Halo. So, man, I guess I'm feeling really ranty today. So we're 20 minutes in and five seconds through five seconds of the content here. But thank you for writing in with that, Sarugi. Where have you been, by the way? Aren't you, aren't you our comment moderator? Where the fuck have you been? Thank you for coming in. Anyway... That's going to do it for those initial comments, people who, who wrote in a little late. Now we'll jump into our regular run of comments here. So my mother gets the first comment for the year of 2021. She says, Happy New Year. Brussels sprouts for everyone. Going right back to Sarugi, he says, Happy New Year to everyone who listens to the podcast. Hope that 2021 is a better year for all of you who had a crappy 2020. Also, this week's creatively recorded audio podcast, or crap for short, was proudly brought to you by the word Cadence. I guess I, I used the word cadence too much last week, but thank you for making me insecure about that, Sarugi. I'll be sure to uh, never forget it whenever I, I want to use the word cadence, but then shy away and think of a different word because you've made me insecure about the way I talk. So thank you. You did this to me. Rich Colin comes in next and says, Hey man, late lazy snowy Sunday in the UK before heading back to work tomorrow. Thought I'd take the opportunity to post a comment. As I've been meaning to for a while, an inaugural YouTube event for me. Hope you're honored, and I am. Been listening for six months or so, mainly since my son has been old enough to play Halo, and I've been able to get back into gaming a little. Very much enjoyed the show. Keep it going in 2021. Well, Rich, thank you for writing in. I appreciate your comment. I appreciate your support of the show. And that's awesome that you and your son have been able to play Halo together. Hopefully... He becomes a diehard fan and is brainwashed in some way, or for, some way, shape, or form to to be a blind 343 is God fanboy so that we can have him loving all the Halo games, have him loving on Halo Infinite regardless of how it turns out later this year. But all joking aside, I do appreciate you writing in and welcome to our wacky, crazy fucking comment section. Jay says, okay, it's official. Saying a game will, quote, knock your dick off is the new way of giving it five stars. Goddamn right. So next time someone says, next time someone says, oh, you got to play this game. It's amazing. It's such a good game to play. You say, well, is it knock your dick off good? And that's, and, and depending on the person's response, that will be how you know whether or not a game is worth trying. Now, OG Man says, Jesse, real quick, you talked about Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, Black Ops 1 being some of the best COD campaigns of all time. Have you replayed World at War recently? 
That is without a doubt the best Call of Duty campaign. Please try it again. Yeah, and Black Ops franchise is good, but World at War is Treyarch's masterpiece. I mean it. It invented zombies. Everything that Treyarch made after was subpar. All right, OG man. So speaking of dwelling too much on one comment, we've got to dive into this. And first of all, I want to apologize to everyone. I know Call of Duty is a franchise that's specifically a lot of like, quote unquote, hardcore gamers tend to be like, a little eye-rolly about, and, and generally I'm somewhat in that category or that camp of, of being like, ah, I don't really like Call of Duty that much anymore, but I've been on this kick lately, and this this comment has me heated, so I, I have to defend myself a little bit, and I have to address your comment. Now, not to come off too hot on, on what you're saying here, OG Man, because I think what your, your comment here is warranted based off of what I said last week, but I should clarify how I feel about Call of Duty or the, the classic Call of Duty games, because I think because of information I left out, I've got you all, or you've got me all wrong. So allow me to clarify, please. So have I tried World at War recently? I'm really embarrassed to admit this. No, I haven't, because while I've been replaying through the Black Ops campaign series, you know, I, I went back, I replayed one and two. I obviously just beat Cold War recently because it just came out. And right now I'm actually working on Black Ops 3. It came in the mail recently, so I'm working on that one. I thought about going back and playing World at War, but I decided not to because I remember World at War from a campaign perspective exclusively. I'm only talking about the campaign. World at War has really fun levels, really great level design, and really great gunplay. But from a story perspective, World at War is... It's weird. It's like it has great moments. It has really cinematic and really powerful moments in its campaign. But like the overall story, the overall narrative, the writing, the you know all that... It's a it's it's just okay. I feel like World at War's campaign is nothing to write home about from the perspective of like telling a cohesive specific narrative. But yes, it has amazing moments, it has really powerful moments, it has awesome levels, great gameplay. It's one of the only Call of Duties that ha it's is like co-op campaign and it had the paintball mode for like the paintball scoring mode. I really really love the Call of Duty World at War campaign. It's just I decided not to go back to it because I was trying to like reacclimate myself with the whole Black Ops story. And while yes, World at War actually does have some story beats that tie into the Black Ops universe, it's such a light game or or just a vague game on story content that I I didn't feel like I just had to replay it in order to understand the Black Ops universe. Now I do regret that a little bit. I wish I went back and replayed it, but I I got to get off this Call of Duty kick and get back to some other games. So. I probably won't be replaying the campaign, but just know that I do love the World at War campaign. Now, campaign aside, if I'm talking about the whole package, I agree with you 100%, OG man, and like you don't have to convince me one bit. Yes, you're right. World at War is the best Call of Duty ever made. It's better than any Black Ops. It's better than any Modern Warfare. I will fight anyone with this, and I don't mean I will fight you like I'll argue it. I will physically fight you on this. Like World at War is by far through and through the greatest Call of Duty ever made. Even though I don't think it tells the most dynamic and, and like and varied story with like amazing dialogue and incredibly fleshed out characters, I think the campaign is a ton of fun and I have beaten it many times before. And I think the multiplayer is by far the best Call of Duty multiplayer ever, just period. I fucking love the multiplayer. And then as you mentioned here, World at War invented zombies. Not only did it invent zombies, but World at War still to this fucking day has the best zombies maps. It has incredible zombies maps. I can go back, in fact, I've been playing Black Ops 3, which has, you know, I have the Zombies Chronicles DLC with it, and it has remakes of all the original zombie maps. And I'm playing through, you know, 
with with Black Ops Three, you have like fifteen fucking zombie maps between all the remakes and all the maps made for Black Ops Three, and despite having like fifteen fucking maps to choose from, by far still the best maps in Black Ops Three, the best maps in Black Ops One, the best maps are the World at War zombies maps by far. Duris, the the final DLC map for for World at War, came out. It released August twenty nine two thousand nine. That is that is the perfect map. Playing playing Nazi zombies on Call of Duty World at War, Doris, you and three of your best friends is some of the absolute most fun to have in a video game, period. Like classic Nazi zombies from World at War is top three best arcade modes ever in a video game, just like hands down. It is phenomenal. Like I will I will defend World at War night and day, like tooth and nail, but uh, again, I, I was specifically talking about like more like narrative focused Call of Duty games, and with that, I feel like it's the Modern Warfare games and the Black Ops games specifically. But yeah, as a complete package, I won't I won't argue I won't fight you with that on that for a fucking second. I think World at War is a masterpiece. It is such a great game, and I I yearn for that game. World at War is one of those games right up there with the ranks of like. Halo, I mean, I think Halo 3 is a way better game overall, but, like, right up there with the likes of, like, Halo 3 and, like, Guitar Hero World Tour and, and like, Mario Galaxy, where it's, like, I think back to, like, when that game came out or, like, Left 4 Dead 1, and, like, I just feel, like, a deep, a deep, like, melancholy, like, nostalgic feeling where I'm just, like, kind of just profoundly sad because I'll, I, I don't think I'll ever play a game that provides like that many amazing memories that will all carry with me for the rest of my life. So World at War is a very special game to me, and I I'm right there with you. It is a it is clearly Treyarch's masterpiece and in the best Call of Duty to date. But my my Black Ops kick has a lot to do with the Black Ops universe more specifically. So the post World War II stuff and and the Black Ops story. You know everything going on with Mason and uh, in in Woods and Hudson and all that. So that's why the lack of World at War coverage, but Rest assured, OG man, I'm a rational human being. I understand that World at War is, you know, despite what the kids say, better than Modern Warfare 2, better than Modern Warfare, better than Black Ops 1, you know, all you new kids that were born in the year 2017, yes, it's better than Black Ops 3 or fucking Modern Warfare 2019 or whatever it is you play. Warzone, get that shit, get that shit out of my face. Don't try to tell me Call of Duty Warzone is better than Nazi Zombies. I will physically, I will personally go to your house and and deliver you uh, a notice that your dog is dead, uh, just just to prove to you that you're a fucking idiot. So, thank you for hanging in with that OG man and, and and allowing me to clarify. Now, you also say you said you just said that you don't care too much for Resident Evil. Resident Evil Four is the greatest game of all time, Jesse. What the actual fuck? Furthermore, I will send you via mail my Resident Evil 4 copy if you've never experienced the best game of all time. So you say Resident Evil 4 is not only an amazing game, not only the best Resident Evil, but the best game of all time. That is high praise for Resident Evil 4. And and yes, OG man, I must admit, I've never played Resident Evil 4. I understand what a culturally significant game Resident Evil 4 is. I remember when it came out on GameCube and my older brother was essentially shitting his pants over this game. I very much am familiar with this game. I understand if you ever listen to a video game podcast or a video game industry person talk about influential or important video games, they always gush over Resident Evil 4. So I do understand that it is a important game and significant game and a well-loved game, but I just, I don't know, man. It just, it never, I never wanted to play it. So with that said, I am open to the idea of playing Resident Evil 4 someday, but it, it has to be on 
on two conditions, on one of two conditions. Either one, they have to do a full remake of it like they have with Resident Evil 2 and 3, which I think they actually will do in the coming years. In fact, I think that's a pretty strong rumor going around right now that that's the next Resident Evil game after Resident Evil Village. Um, or two, I have to play the Nintendo Wii version of it because from what I understand, the Wii aim motion controls actually make Resident Evil 4 play way better than it did on GameCube or PS2 or the next-gen ports or anything like that. So that would be the only way I'd play it. But I mean, still, like if I'm if I'm thinking about Resident Evil, you know, which is a franchise I'm just recently getting into, I want to like go back and beat seven. I want to go back and play two remake. I don't want to jump right into four. I don't want to play this old fucking archaic thing. That's like it's like kind of how it was for me when I finally played Metal Gear Solid, where it's like I sat down to play the very first Metal Gear Solid on PlayStation one. And I was like, wow, everyone says this game's fucking amazing. It's such a you know, it's such a masterpiece of a game. And there were moments in, in, in Metal Gear Solid 1, where I was like, this is a really cool and really unique game, and this is a... I understand the, you know, the significance of this game for the time, but at the same time, because it had been so long, because it was such an old game by the time I finally got around to it, it just had a... I don't know. I just I couldn't get the appeal. It looked it looked and ran like shit. It controlled like shit. It was really obtuse in a lot of ways, and I was like, this is just... I'm not playing the same game, you know, people were falling in love with all those years ago. And I feel like if I play Resident Evil 4 now, I'm going to have a very similar experience where I'm like, okay, I can see some of why this was so, you know, groundbreaking back in the day, but I think it came out like 2004. But, you know, if I play if I play Resident Evil 4 now on like a Wii or a GameCube, I'm probably going to have a similar feeling of like, okay, this just hasn't aged all that well, at least from a mechanic standpoint or, you know, visual standpoint. So I, I got to probably wait for the, I'm, I'm sure they're going to make a, like a ground up remake of it. And at that point I'll probably play it. So hang on, OG man, don't lose faith in me just yet. Remember, I do agree with you on call of duty. So maybe I'll play Resident Evil four, if that's somehow a connection you can make. And then dead captain James comes in, you know, our favorite dead captain James or OG commenter says happy new year. I really enjoyed cyberpunk 2077. I put about 112 hours into it and completed all the endings. And it was amazing. If you like far cry, you will love cyberpunk. It's it also looked amazing and ran well on my RTX 3080 PC. So, wow. First of all, we'll stop there. You, you wrote more, but we'll stop there. First of all, 112 hours is impressive considering the game's only been out for a month. But I'm actually really excited to play more Cyberpunk by your comment that says, if you like Far Cry, you'll love Cyberpunk. Because telling me that Cyberpunk is a lot more like Far Cry than it is, you know, Fallout or Elder Scrolls makes me a lot more optimistic about the game than, you know, than I had previously anticipated. So that is, uh, that is... I don't know, that, that is the correct way to market this game to me, but I, I don't really need to be sold on it. I already played the opening 30 minutes. I have the game. I'm just waiting for some more patches before I dive in, and, you know, some more patches and for some more uh, uh, this work shit that's kind of tying me up right now, which will be over by the end of this week. So pray for me, guys. Yeah, I'm planning on getting back to Cyberpunk and I'm, I am excited for it. I do think I'll love it, but you, you have me excited with that comment right there, Dead Captain James, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, the funny thing is I was, I, I want to say this because I got to hold myself accountable for this. I was, I was, you know, kind of ragging on you a little bit, Dead Captain James, because you got an Xbox Series X pre-ordered and then you had to be a good friend and give up that pre-order to your buddy who couldn't get one. And then you're like, oh, well, I got an RTX 3080, so I'll just, uh, I'll just enjoy that instead of a Series X. And then I kind of ragged on you on the podcast for saying all that. 
But then, you know, fast forward to today and it's like jokes on me because cyberpunk runs and looks significantly worse on an Xbox series X than it does on a PC with a 3080 RTX. So card. So I guess you had the last laugh there. Glad you enjoyed the game, but continuing on, you say, you, you say, I also did the same thing with Red Dead Redemption 2 this past year. Uh, I played it back in 2018 and got bored after 20 hours, picked it back up on PC during a really cheap sale, and fell in love with it the second time around. Arthur's story is so good. And I agree with you completely there, man. It's uh, Arthur's Arthur's story is one of the greatest stories told in video games, and I just I, I don't understand how people aren't enamored with that game. It's, it's such an amazing story. But uh, your last point of your comment here says, Cookout, Cheerwine, and Sundrop are staples of my childhood. They're all just tastes of home for me as a native North Carolina boy. Uh, Nando's is fucking amazing, and I would eat there twice a week when I lived in the UK. Uh, We have Nando's here in the States, but they're rare and spread out. Looking forward to a new year of Xbox on, Jesse. Well, thank you for that, Dead Captain James. So, first of all, I didn't know you lived in the UK. That's pretty pretty damn cool. Um, But yeah, so... So what I'm gathering here is Nando's and someone correct me if I'm saying it wrong. I don't know if it's like Nando's or Nando's or, but anyway, I was, I was stunned to learn that not only is this a restaurant that has made its way over to the UK, but it's, it's infected the U S much like the COVID virus. It, it, it went all the way from the other side of the world and then made its way to Europe and then said, fuck you America. And then spread its way over here as well. So Nando's much like COVID-19 is here in the States and I didn't even know. So that's really exciting. And I was really excited when I first read this comment. So quickly I pulled up Bing cause I'm not a fucking savage. I don't use Google. And I was like, Nando's USA locations near me. I was like, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Florida, Florida, you know, cause Florida's a weird state. A lot of times Florida, what I've noticed will have like even if it's not around me here in the Orlando area, a lot of times Florida will just have one or two restaurants of a chain that isn't anywhere else in the Southeast a lot of times. So like, I don't know, like, like I think we have like a Whataburger somewhere in Florida. We have a Whataburger in like fucking, it's in like Tallahassee or Gainesville or some shit like that. One of those creepy places in Florida. And of course I've never been to it because I, I wouldn't go there, but I'm just like, how the hell is this like a restaurant that's in like Texas and that whole part of the world and then like yeah here's one in florida you know you don't have it in georgia you don't have it in north carolina you don't have it in alabama or tennessee or any of these places but we'll just put one in florida fuck it and i there's a lot of that kind of stuff happening like in 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 uh in florida so i was very optimistic that maybe there'd be a nando somewhere in florida maybe not here in orlando maybe i'd have to go down to miami or up to jacksonville or something to go to this place but i wanted to see if there is one at least within two or three hours of me. And no, there isn't. So you say Nando's is available here in the States, and that gets me excited. That wets my whistle. But according to their website, they operate in, like, Washington, D.C., in, like, Illinois. Like, not real America. Like, so what the fuck do you want me to do with that? Like, you're telling me, like, to just drive up the East Coast to the place where all the the bad people live just to eat a fucking Nando's, whatever it is they have on their menu. Like I don't fucking think so. So that had me really disappointed. I I'm hoping that they do a, a Portillo's type thing where they just, uh, get really big in their area and then just randomly decide one day to start spreading out Portillo's. Of course, the Chicago hot dog type place that went from like Chicago to California. And now they're starting to make their way over here. I think they've got like two locations in Florida. I'm pretty excited about trying that one day. But Nando's, if you're listening, if for whatever reason someone from that company with any any power is listening, 
build a fucking location here. Hey, Disney World. We've got a whole internet, a whole international audience constantly coming to Central Florida here where I live to ride Space Mountain and to spread their COVID joy. And all I'm asking is that you put one of your restaurants here. You know, if we can have, if we can have a fucking Voodoo Donuts at Universal, then we can have a Nando's chicken, whatever the fuck it is here in Florida. That's all I'm saying. Darv comes in next and says, love the Xbox slash food slash Disney slash soda slash literature podcast. I have not participated since you read my Apple podcast review over a year ago. I'm a RC slash DP mean Dr. Pepper soda person. Why no love for RC Cola? Are you a shill for big cola? McDonald's is the best value for a dollar menu. Loving the series X. Keep up the good work. All right, Darv. This is, I'm sorry, guys. If I'm like dragging too long in the comments this week, I've just, I've got to, because some of you guys are writing some real, either really good comments or like comments that are really getting me going. So like, I've got, I've got to tear this one apart too, because first of all, thank you for writing it. And thank you for writing an Apple podcast review. In fact, Darv, and to anyone out there who, who has ever reviewed the show on Apple podcasts, thank you. And I'm sorry, because I keep meaning to pull up the reviews on Apple Podcasts, see if there are any new ones, and then read them on the show. But the problem is because I, I no longer personally own any Apple products, it's a it's a bitch to get access to those reviews because you can go to the Apple Podcasts statistics website, you know, on any web browser, and it shows me like analytics for the show, but it doesn't show me reviews because Apple fucking hates you and says you gotta buy one of her stupid products to read that shit. So if I wanna read reviews from Apple Podcasts, I have to go take my girlfriend's iPhone and then like look on the Apple Podcasts app to find your comments. So it's kind of a it's kind of a bitch for me. And and so I just wanna say, you know, anyone who has reviewed the podcast on Apple, especially because you know, back in the day, I used to constantly nag and beg for you guys to review the Apple Podcasts app or review this show on the Apple Podcasts app. I am sorry because I'm sure some of you actually have done that. And I didn't hold up my end of the bargain by, you know, appreciating or thanking or, or reading those comments. Uh, so I am sorry for that. But thank you for writing initially on Apple Podcasts. Um, for, first of all, second of all, what the fuck is this? Like, okay, I get it. Dr. Pepper is part of the RC Cola or RC Cola is part of the seven up Dr. Pepper company. So I get it. It's like, it's kind of like how I guess this is kind of like how I'm a Pepsi guy. So I'm like Mountain Dew and Pepsi, you know, I, I'm sticking with the tribe. I'm sticking with the brand, but like, listen, man, no one's going to argue with you that Dr. Pepper is a good soda. Everyone loves Dr. Pepper. It's phenomenal. But just because you love Dr. Pepper doesn't mean you got to be an RC Cola guy. It's okay, man. You could admit that Pepsi is the best cola, but Dr. Pepper is your favorite soda. That's okay. Everyone listening here can agree with that or or can or can live with that and accept you for that. But you can't be going around telling people, man, like, I'm so loyal to the brand that not only do I love Dr. Pepper, which is a phenomenal soda, but I actually prefer RC Cola over Coke, over Pepsi, because I'm so loyal to the the trifecta of the Dr. Pepper and the RC Cola in the in the Seven Up. So I, I just don't get this. Okay, I, why no love for RC Cola? Well, first of all, the reason why I never mention RC Cola is let's just be honest. It is it is a distant third place. RC Cola isn't like how Nintendo is compared to Xbox and PlayStation in the era of the Switch. RC Cola is like how Nintendo was in relation to Xbox and PlayStation in the era of the Wii U, okay? You got like the Xbox 360 with almost 90 million units sold. You've got the PlayStation 3 with almost 90 million units sold. And then you got the Nintendo Wii, or the Nintendo Wii U rather, with like 
12, 13 million units sold. So that's that's what I think of when I think of RC Cola. It's like the Wii U of sodas. And you know, I was someone who loved the Wii U, so I'm not shitting on it. I'm just saying it's kind of out there in obscurity a little bit to the point where like, I don't think to mention RC Cola. It's not like, you know, it's kind of like Windows Phone, I guess. It's like people think iPhone versus Android. Most people don't think to include Windows Phone in that argument because they don't because Windows Phone is so unpopular and so obscure that most don't remember it. So it's not it's not a rag on RC Cola. It's just like, how the fuck was I supposed to think of that? How was I supposed to have that come to mind? Now, I am a reasonable human being. I was at the Walmart around the time you posted this comment, and I saw that, so I told my girlfriend, hey, Darv is saying that I don't give RC Cola any love. So you know what? Fuck it. We got a two liter of RC Cola. We threw it in the shopping cart, and I said, let's settle this one once and for all, okay? Get home that night. You know what the best way to enjoy a cola is? Don't guess. Let me tell you. The best way to enjoy a cola is with like an Italian pasta dinner. Like you got like pasta with like a hearty sauce and like meatballs and shit like that. That is the best way to enjoy a a soda. Yes, cola goes great with burgers, pizza, specifically burgers, but like really like a, a hearty fat Italian pasta dinner. Like cola goes fucking amazing with that. So I set up the proper meal. I tried to get myself in the right situation to really give RC Cola a fair shot. In fact, I'll say this. I went so far as to give RC Cola a fair shot. I even poured it into my Rainforest Cafe drinking glass. And I don't just, I don't go around putting just any old beverage in that glass. That's a very sacred glass. So I hope you understand that I I meant by, by all intents and purposes to give RC Cola a fair shot and to hear you out, give you the benefit of the doubt and give you an honest and fair response to this comment. And what did I find after, you know, a meal, a a wonderful Italian pasta dinner and some RC Cola drank from the, the, the glass of the, of the rainforest cafe. Well, meh, you know, that was my reaction. Meh. I know like RC Cola is kind of like the meme of the soda world. You know, it's like funny to rag on it and hate on it. I'll be honest. I don't think RC Cola is bad. It's not awful. Like if I if I go over to someone's house for dinner or something and they're like, oh man, we're drinking RC Cola. Would you like a glass? I'll be like, fine. You know, that's what you have. I'll take it, you know? If in and let me let me show you how much of a compliment that is. If someone says I have diet soda, would you like that? I'll be like, I'll uh, I'll I'll just actually I'll just actually dehydrate and die because I won't drink diet soda. But if you have RC Cola, sure, why not? I'll have one, you know? So that's how I felt about it. It's like fine. But is it, can I compare it to Pepsi? Can I compare it to Coke? Absolutely not. Are you fucking kidding me, man? RC Cola is so, its flavor is so mild. It tastes so watered down. It's so uninspired as a flavor. It's not bad. You know, it's not awful. It's not like, oh oh my God, why would anyone ever drink this? This is disgusting. My, My thing is, why would anyone choose this over Pepsi or Coke, you know? It's, it's not bad. It's just there are far better options. You know, diet soda is an insult because diet soda is disgusting. Diet soda is sinful. In fact, statistics recently show that, like, the majority of – the overwhelming majority of people who go to hell at one point or another were large consumers of diet soda. So, like, the correlations there, the, the statistical data shows us that diet soda is disgusting and evil. But I'm not saying that about RC Cola. I'm just saying it's like – there's disgusting diet soda. There's amazing like regular Pepsi and Coke. And then there's like RC Cola for people who I don't, for whatever reason, are going to pick the kind of uninspired flavor. So I don't mean to insult you. I just don't think RC Cola 
really has a seat at the table, has a has a has a a chip in the game, a card card in the game, whatever. Thank you for riding in with that, and I hope that makes you feel like I at least gave it a fair shot. But no, RC Cola doesn't. No, fuck it, Pepsi, fuck you. All right, Sarugi jumps back in. Our Mr. Comment moderator, who never shows up anymore, says, Before I forget, this comment is for Jay from a couple weeks ago. Sorry about the delayed reply. It's been a hectic end of the year. Listen, Sarugi, I don't want excuses. You're a comment moderator. You tell your family to hold on to hold on for a fucking second so you can moderate these comments. But nonetheless, thank you. You say, sit down restaurants best first. Grilled, Nando's, and Zambrero. Then you say takeaway or takeout, as we call it here in the States, because we don't take away, we take out. Uh, you say McDonald's and Hungry Jack's are equal first. Gun to my head, I'd probably put Hungry Jack's first because they make a killer car- caramel shake. That sounds awesome. Then Noodle Box, we had one about five minute walk from my old house, so I kind of overdid it to the point of making myself sick of it. I can relate there. That's Chick-fil-A for me. And you've got old, and you've got to add uh, Guzman and Gomez in there too. Love me some burritos. I've never heard of chicken treat. It's not something we have in Queensland. So, Sarugi... First of all, thank you for replying to Jay. I wanted at least one other Australian listener to respond to that because I want this conversation to be had. I want there to be a showdown of Australian fast food in our comment section. I need that. I condone it. I invite it. But as someone who obviously has never had Hungry Jack's because I've never been in a place that has one, but is very familiar with Burger King, I've got to say, picking Hungry Jack's slash Burger King over McDonald's is a ballsy fucking move, Okay. But the fact that Hungry Jack's has a caramel shake on their menu for whatever reason makes me wonder just how different Hungry Jack's is from Burger King. Because while, yes, they're ostensibly the same restaurant, Burger King would never have the balls to put a caramel shake on their menu. It's simple, it's classic, and it sounds delicious. But Burger King doesn't do that. No, Burger King tries to appeal too much to the crazy ass fucking American like like shock value kind of food trends where they're like oh we took flaming hot Cheetos and mashed them up with some fucking uh craft mac and cheese and fried it like a ball come and come and get that I, I wouldn't even be surprised if they did like fucking flaming hot mac and cheese Cheetos fried balls milkshake that's the kind of shit Burger King does because they don't they don't want you to go there and have a good meal they want you to go there because they had something on the menu that's so outrageous you had to give it a try. So no disrespect for picking Hungry Jacks over McDonald's, but as someone who has a lot of experience with McDonald's and Burger King, I got to say, McDonald's is always going to win, man. Come on. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing here? That being said, you guys got me excited. I, I want to try some of these restaurants. I, I, I want to do a food tour of Australia. I want to go to your country and eat all your food and then probably just leave uh, and then go to Japan and play at their Disneyland. Anyway, thank you for writing in with that. Mr. Miggy comes in and says, I had no idea the Honda CRZ came in a hybrid and manual. Nonetheless, I drive a 2015 Honda Civic SI hashtag save the manuals. Pretty cool car there. As a side note, I used to my dream car, my dream cars. I, I used to be a pretty big Honda boy. So my dream cars have shifted from a JDM import of a of a CRX. I've wanted a a Civic Type R, the the UK version when they used to have like the, uh, what is, I, I forget now, was it 6th or 7th gen, the Type R, the one that they sold in Europe but not in the US, but now they sell the Type R in the US, but I don't like it as much as the old one, but I still like it, so I still kind of want a Type R, but I also used to love the Acura Integra Type R, 
The Integra Type Bar, that beautiful yellow shade. That Oh, that thing's so fucking beautiful. I want one. Also, a, a Honda Prelude SI. That's a beautiful car. Uh, a 2009 Honda S2000. There are plenty. If if I had endless money or a fucking Acura NSX, like the Gen 1, not the new hybrid one. The, the new hybrid one's kind of cool. I think it doesn't get enough love, but the classic Acura NSX, like, holy shit, man. Honda makes some good cars. I, I really love Honda, and I really... There have been a lot of Hondas that have had my eye, but yeah, the CRZ for me, for sure. Uh, I had to get it when I did because... I wanted something that was fun and had good handling. It was like a fun, sporty Honda, but also something that was going to keep my insurance down. And I think the CRZ was perfect because it's so funny. They bill it as like a sports coupe hybrid thing. And, but it's, it's, it technically just like goes on insurance, insurance companies just kind of look at it like a, like a fucking um, Toyota Prius. So the insurance is really cheap on them, despite the fact that they're actually kind of fun cars. So yeah, I love my little CRZ. Definitely, uh, definitely save the manuals. I'm, I'm weird. If it's like a, if it's like a regular internal combustion engine car, like a classic car, like an ICE car. Yes, I'm all about manual transmission over automatic. They're more fun to drive. I'm not about like super fast cars. I'm more about really quirky Japanese cars, especially cars with fun handling and good gearboxes. But when it come, when it comes to my other, the other side of me that likes cars, I'm really all in with electrics. I think electrics are fucking awesome. So I'm either like a hundred percent like classic car. Like you operate the thing, manual transmission, you know how to work on it. It's a, it's a car, it's a utility, or I like cars to be like a total, like techie gadget, like a, like a Tesla. I'm not really into the in-between stuff that we have with like most cars where it's like automatic transmissions and just a bunch of like bloated infotainment shit baked into it. Like that stuff doesn't do it for me. Like muscle cars don't do it for me, but I do love me some uh, some some manual Hondas for sure. Anyway, f- finishing out your comment there, you say, also I tried Cold War when they had it a, uh, a week-long trial, enjoyed it, realized it was the last-gen version, downloaded the Series X version. It ran at 30 FPS 90% of the time, so I re-downloaded the last-gen version. I honestly didn't notice any difference between the last and current-gen versions. I feel like the last-gen version is is better since it makes it seem like since it seems like there aren't as many bugs. Makes me even more upset that they wanted to charge seventy bucks for a separate version. I mean, I don't know what else to really say about this. I'm tired of I'm tired of like pissing you guys off with all the Call of Duty talk. But yeah, I mean, seventy dollars first of all for Black Ops Cold War on Series X versus Xbox One being sixty dollars, I think is absolute bullshit because the difference is minor. But I, I mean, I like having the FOV slider, and I, I do notice the, the ray tracing when I turn it on. But I don't play with ray tracing on. I play with Usually I play sixty or sorry one twenty FPS um, at at uh, at ten eighty p just because I want the game to run really fast and smooth. But I I agree it, there's uh, it's definitely a lot of issues and seventy dollars for the next gen version is kind of dumb. But our final comment of the week comes from Wes H who says double chicken quesadilla at cookout is strong. Finishing up Halo Combat Evolved tonight. So far I've enjoyed it, but some of the levels are a little repetitive. Although I can't appreciate it because of its age. I'm excited to start Halo 2, hoping the storyline gets a little deeper. And yeah, I mean, I can Hey, I can I I can remove my nostalgia long enough to be a little critical of Combat Evolved. Yes, Combat Evolved definitely has some repetitiveness. You know, infamously the the library level is of course extraordinarily repetitive, but still still a classic game. Halo Halo Combat Evolved so so good, but I hope you're enjoying Halo jumping through the games for the first time. I hope Halo 2 is good to you and Excited to hear what you had to say when you get to Halo 3, which is, of course, my favorite Halo game. 
But uh, thanks for riding in with that, Wes. And thanks to everyone who wrote in this week. That's going to do it for all of our comments. We made it into the show about an hour. We're at about, uh, we're at about like 59 minutes or whatever. So uh, I can't believe anyone listens to this show. I got to say, you know, I've mentioned on the show before, um, my favorite podcaster, games, media guy of all time, uh, Colin Moriarty. I followed him basically religiously since all the way back when he used to work at IGN before he left to go co-found kind of funny, popular YouTube content creators, and then left that in 2017 to start his own company. And uh, the reason why I bring him up is because this week he announced that, you know, his company, Last Stand Media, is starting an Xbox podcast as a new initiative for 2021. And unfortunately, he won't be on it. I, I wish he was. I'd love to hear more of his takes on Xbox, but he won't be on it. But he has, a, yeah, he's hired two guys, Mr. Matty Plays from YouTube and I think ACG Game Reviews. You might be familiar with them. They're both relatively big YouTubers. Um, but yeah, they, they're they're going to be doing this Xbox podcast. And, you know, I recommend you check it out if you're looking for another Xbox podcast to add to your rotation. But I remember they, they first announced it and I was like, and I was like, oh shit, man, like, Colin puts out the best podcasts ever. Like I'm going to listen to this podcast and, and be like instantly like, wow, this makes my Xbox podcast look so fucking weak by comparison. And then I listened to it. Uh, I listened to their inaugur- inaugural episode and they, they just talked about Xbox. Like, I mean, they, they had, they have personality and they're funny. Like I, I, I mean all good things, but like the whole podcast was about Xbox and it kind of dawned on me for a second there while I was sitting in traffic listening to the show. I was like, okay, so people don't listen to my show because they want to hear about Xbox. They listen to my show because they're like mentally, because they're like emotionally damaged people and they like being lied to. They like clicking on a thumbnail of the Xbox logo and a, a podcast being being called Xbox on and a description that says it's about Xbox and then hearing me rant about RC Cola and Call of Duty World at War and Honda Civics for uh, for 59 minutes before we actually get to the Xbox talk. So I, I don't know what you guys are doing out. I don't know what the hell you guys are doing. There are far better shows out there, but uh, I, I don't even know where I was going with that. But yeah, if, you, if you're interested in finding another Xbox podcast to add to your rotation, the show is called um, Defining Duke an Xbox podcast. Anyway, whatever. If you if you want a show that cuts the bullshit and gets to the actual Xbox talk, I think that would be good for you, but that's not what I do here on the podcast. We do, we do all the stupid shit. So that's what I that, that, those are all of our comments, guys. Let's jump into this week's segments, fun segment, but before we can do that, I got to tell you about what I've been playing, but before I can t- tell you all about what I've been playing, I got to tell you about of course what I've been eating. And uh, I feel like we talked about food, so I don't want to get into it too much other than to just say, for some reason, I've been kind of going back and eating hot dogs lately, which is something I've always hated. I fucking hate hot dogs. I hate any meat that you eat in like a casing. But for some reason, hot dogs have just been like doing it for me lately. Just like shitty store-bought, boil them, slap them in a hot dog bun with some mayo and mustard, like just classic Oscar Mayer bullshit hot dogs have been, for some reason, scratching some weird itch for me. Get some Doritos, a Mountain Dew. It's not a healthy way to eat, but it's uh, it's something. I don't, I don't know what's happening to me, but I will report back to you once I know more. I might have to go to a doctor and say, Doc, what's what's going on? Why am I enjoying hot dogs all of a sudden? But wanted to tell you that. Not so much, you know. If anything, just to tell you, like, if I if I'm not if I'm not if I'm nowhere to be found in the coming weeks, you know, I've been eating hot dogs. You know, there's probably something going on. Uh, I should give you my emergency contact information in case, actually. But uh, as for what I've been playing, you know, 
let's get through this just because I haven't talked about this in a few weeks. So obviously the Black Ops games, I won't jump into it anymore, but I will just say this as a little bow on top. I rebeat the old Black Ops games, and right now I'm working on Black Ops 3. I'm, I'm pretty slowed down on everything just because of this work shit, but after this week I'm going to go full steam ahead back into video games. But Black Ops 3, you know, maybe I'll talk about it more later, but like Black Ops 3's campaign, I got to say, like the game has polish and tight gameplay, and like they they you can tell hard work went into this game, but... Holy fuck, Black Ops 3 is not a Black Ops game. Like, the story is garbage. The characters are lame as shit. The world and the events are fucking lame as shit. Like, the, the gameplay is fine. Like, I have no problem with it. I, I I plan on seeing it through the end and hopefully liking it more by the time the credits roll. But, like, goddamn, Black Ops 3 is not a Black Ops game. I don't give a shit what anyone says. I'm trying to, like, go through here and, and see... You know, what Black Ops game is the best? It's kind of been like my MO lately. I love Black Ops 1 and 2. I love World at War. World at War is way more of a Black Ops game than Black Ops 3. And I'm excited to play Black Ops 4. And I liked World. I liked Cold War a bunch. I thought the campaign in Cold War was really good. But fuck, there's nothing about Black Ops 3 that is a Black Ops game. Like, nothing. No characters you know. No events that tie into anything. It's just a stupid fucking future wall-running shooter. It's fun. It's just not Black Ops, but whatever. So I'll, I'll report more on that once I actually get deeper into it. I've literally only played the first two levels. Uh, I've mostly spent my time with Black Ops 3 playing Zombies, so we'll, we'll talk more about that game in particular later. But the other thing I, I've been playing is Spider-Man Miles Morales. My mom got me uh, some PlayStation gift cards for Christmas, knowing that I wanted to play the new Spider-Man game. So thank you, Mom. Uh, it, it was the correct purchasing decision for your for your baby boy. I, I must say, Spider-Man Miles Morales is awesome. Uh, I beat it in like three sittings. I mean, you guys know me. I've said it even on this very episode. I love Insomniac. I love Spider-Man. And Insomniac Spider-Man games are phenomenal. And Miles Morales is really, really good. In fact, I would venture to say, from a character perspective, I actually like Insomniac's Miles Morales universe or story more than I like their Peter Parker kind of interpretation. And I really, really enjoyed Miles' story and his friends and, and just the story of this game. I really appreciated it being just such a tight, like, six, seven-hour game. No filler content, just all main plot, fun fun stuff. All the side missions, once you beat the game, are really good, high-quality stuff with decent story content to it. Gameplay's as fun as ever. I actually find miles to be more fun to play as than peter because his moves are better i like his electric ability venom as they call it um i just yeah i find it to be a really really good game high production value the game feels like it chugs a little bit on my ps4 because i don't have a ps5 right now so i'm playing on ps4 i feel like the game chugs and has some performance hiccups and i can't tell if that's my ps4 or the game just not running well or i think what it is is that i've gotten used to the series x i've gotten used to never playing a game sub 60 fps and now that i'm playing like a 30 fps open world ps4 game i'm i'm noticing the frame rate and the chug and all that and the games it's not the fault of the game it's it's me being spoiled by the series x and i'm I'm guessing that's what it is but like it's not like detrimental or like really deterring from the game in, in any real way but i noticed it and I, I just had to mention that but what a great game if you're someone who owns a playstation i highly highly recommend Insomniac Spider-Man games, especially Miles Morales. I thought it was really just such a fun time and it kind of the perfect little Christmas game since it's set around the holiday anyway. So 
that, those are the games I've been playing. But with that all knocked out, you know, we have no news. We'll jump into this week's fun segment that I have to kind of go into 2021. So without further ado, let's do that now. All right. So the first part of this, this segment I want to do is Xbox games I'm most looking forward to in 2021. So I wrote my top five games that are coming out in 2021 for Xbox um, that I am most excited about playing. And I encourage you guys, you know, I I should have solicited your feedback last week for this week's episode, but if you would like to be a part of this as well, please feel free to comment on YouTube about the five games you're most looking forward to playing on Xbox this year, and we'll read them on next week's show. I think that could be fun to do. Um, But yeah, here, let me go through mine real quick. So I actually thought pretty long and hard about this. I, I, I looked up like lists from different websites of like all the games coming to Xbox this year, thought long and hard about, you know, which ones to add, which ones to take off. And I actually did have to fight a little bit for the number five space just because there were a couple games I didn't want to leave off the list. But here we are. I, I did a, a tight five picks. We won't do any honorable mentions because I'm a very make it or break it guy. Fuck you. If you didn't make the list, then you don't deserve to be here. So with that said, let's jump in. Number five, I put Far Cry 6. Now, Far Cry, like as we've talked about on the show many times before, you know, if by the way, Sarugi, last week, if I said cadence too many times, I think this week I've said, like I've mentioned on the show before, too many times. So feel free to make me insecure about that as well. But Far Cry 6, you know, I've said many times before how Far Cry is a series I absolutely love. I, I know many of you love it as well. The first Far Cry you play is generally like the Far Cry for you. So I'm very much a Far Cry 4 fan. I really like 3 as well. And I was pretty disappointed by Far Cry 5. I thought... The premise of the game was really cool. The villain's really cool. The setup for the game is really cool. But the game just kind of drops the ball, especially with this kind of forced nature of making you play like all the content in an area before you can progress to this part. And just the game kind of forcing you to really engage with all the side content and stuff. I really hated that. Felt like the game really kind of controlled and limited the way I could play it. And that's no fun for Far Cry. And then, you know, Far Cry New Dawn... The sequel to Far Cry 5, I also really took issue with because I had a lot of free to play or had a lot of like pay to win, like grindy bullshit tied into it that like makes the game come to a fucking halt at the end of the game if you didn't spend money or grind for hours. So I've had some some downs with Far Cry as of late, to say the least, but I'm optimistic that Far Cry 6 is going to go back a little more to the Far Cry 3 and 4 routes and make good on some of their recent wrongdoings. And I'm really intrigued by this new villain. I think he looks pretty badass. I think he, the, this that that tonal trailer that they put out there when he's got like his nephew or his grandson or whatever it is, and he's like trying to teach him not to be afraid of the people, and he puts the live grenade in his hands and tells him like walk carefully all the way out to the people. Like that's that's a fucking crazy scene. I think we're in for another like classic crazy Far Cry villain, and I'm really excited to explore that. I'm just really hoping they. They nail the gameplay more than anything. I think with any Far Cry game, you know, it seems like they tend to be pretty good with the villains, pretty good with picking off some settings. But my my concern is that they're going to fuck up the gameplay again. I want it to be like classic Far Cry. If I want to just mainline the, the quest and ignore all the side content, let me do that, you know, and and don't hit me up for money. Don't try to get me to buy microtransactions or level shit up like or go back to my home base and level up my farm and and all my characters and shit like I don't want to do that. Like, let me pick up a gun, run around this open world, shoot stuff, pick up quests, whether I want to do side quests or main quests, and just let me progress through the story at my pace the way I want. That's Far Cry. So let me fucking do that, you know. 
And as long as they can nail that, I think I'll be a lot happier with this game. But I am um, kind of cautiously optimistic, but kind of just excited for Far Cry 6. It's been since been delayed. It's now coming out in May, you know, since its initial announcement. It was originally supposed to come out in like February or March, but now it's coming out in May. So that's fine with me. I can I can wait, finish it up, make sure the game is polished and, and great. I know COVID fucks everything up nowadays, so everything gets delayed. But I don't know. I'm uh, I'm I'm really hoping that this game delivers and makes up on Far Cry 5's wrongdoings. And man, we still haven't seen any gameplay of this thing, so you know, it should be pretty soon. Really, any week now, probably probably by probably by like Valentine's Day, thanks or St. Patrick's at the exact late at the absolute latest. We should probably get a pretty in depth gameplay reveal of this game. So. Keep an eye out on that, but that's my top. That's my number five pick is Far Cry Six. Now my number four pick, and this is this is where it starts to get fun. With with the numbers four, three, and two, I really had to fight with this. I kept switching the order around, and even then, I'm not really confident that I picked the best order. But for number four, I put The Ascent, and this is uh, being developed by Neon Giant, a small team from Sweden of just eleven developers. It's a small indie game for all of you who like to shit on me for not saying nice things about indie developers and supporting more indie games. This is The Ascent from Neon Giant. They are a small indie team of 11 people from Sweden. And this game looks absolutely phenomenal. This game looks so badass. In fact, if this game ends up being everything I hope it is, it has the potential to be like, like literally like, top three best games of the year for me like I'm I'm so excited for the ascent and normally especially with games like this that aren't you know something in an established world like if it's not like the next Halo or Sonic the Hedgehog I don't normally get too excited but like with the ascent I'm pretty damn excited like I'm I'm very confident this is a game for me but the ascent for those who don't remember originally announced last year at May during that Xbox Series X third-party partners uh announcement um day video whatever presentation this is one of those games that's Third party, but it's console. It's it's exclusive to Xbox um, Series X One and PC, and um, it's launching right into Game Pass. So, I, all of you have no excuse as to why you haven't played it if, if if you don't play it when it comes out. But all joking aside, I'm, I'm this is a um, it's a top down twin stick shooter RPG. So it's like I I, I don't know. It's I guess it's it's kind of like I guess it's kind of like Cyberpunk or Fallout but from a top-down twin-stick shooter perspective. And the game just looks fucking amazing. Like, we've only really gotten the reveal trailer, and then a few months ago they put out a developer diary kind of five-minute trailer for the game. And they just both both videos, like, I just rewatch them over and over again. I cannot believe how exciting this game is. It's, you know, they, they keep touting it as, like, you know, why can't you do a game that has cinematic storytelling and, and, and deep, you know, questing and RPG mechanics and shit? like like a game like cyberpunk but do it from like a top-down twin stick shooter perspective so they want to meld these two different genres together in one and really focus on making the world and the setting kind of the major character over the actual people you play as and and all of that sounds very very exciting to me so i'm really 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 itching to play the ascent and the only thing that really bothers me about this is originally I thought it was going to be a fall 2020 game, but it's a 2021 game and we just have no clue when it's coming out. And it's a rare example of, you know, Far Cry 6, I literally just said it's been delayed till May. That's fine. I can wait. No big deal. The Ascent, I'm kind of just the opposite. I'm like a little pissed. I'm like, where the hell is the fucking release date? I want to know when's it coming out? When can I play this game? I really hope it comes out sooner rather than later because I don't want it to come out later in the year too close to Halo because I really want to take 
my time with this and like invest in this game. So go look up the ascent. If you haven't already, it's such a beautiful looking game. It's, it's a top down twin six shooter. And it, 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 it's, it, they definitely put the artistic and graphical emphasis on the environments. Like it just, despite being, you know, that isometric kind of view that, you know, that, that usually isn't associated with like the biggest budget triple a games. It still has such a beautiful graphical and artistic style to it. And I, I just can't wait to get my hands on this game. So that's the ascent. It's my number four pick. Really, really hoping the game not only delivers, but is really successful and helps to put Neon Giant on the map and, and, and get them going because I think there's a lot of promise behind this game and I'm just really excited to dig into that. My number three pick is, and here we go, you know, this is, is a pretty varied list I've got here. So bear with me, guys. I put Scarlet Nexus as my number three pick. This is another game that was shown during that May Xbox Series X third-party partners video, whatever, coming from uh, Bando- Bandai Namco or Namco Bandai. I think it's Bandai Namco is how they say it now. But yeah, this is that weird, like, Japanese action role-playing game that's like takes place in the city, but it has, like, those weird enemies that all... They're all, like, zombie flower enemies with, like, weird, like, psychological horror twists where, like, it looks like haunted like legs and fucking flowers and shit with broken zombie faces and stuff where like the monsters and the zombies and shit look really crazy in this game. Um, but it's uh yeah, it's like an, it's like a modern setting Tokyo kind of like Japanese city and it's a Japanese role action role playing. So it's got very like hacky slashy melee combat with, uh, with like psychonesis powers um, and I think the game just looks phenomenal. Uh, I don't know too much about it. I've watched a lot of gameplay demos, but I'm trying not to like focus in on anything about like the synopsis. Cause I don't, I kind of just want to explore the game and figure it out for myself. Um, but I know you can pick between a boy and a girl and they each have like different stories depending on which one you choose. And the game just looks really good. This is being pr- produced by a lot of, uh, actually developers of the tales of series, popular Bandai Namco Japanese role-playing game series, Tales of, they do like Tales of Brasiria, Tales of Symphonia, Tales of Vesperia, games like that. Um, and so they're working on this game, and it just, to me, it looks like one of the most interesting Japanese role-playing games I've seen in a very, very long time. And this is a genre like where I'm always waiting for a game to like come out that excites me and interests me and grabs me. And so rarely do these developers do it. Like Final Fantasy 15 was a game I really, really wanted to be excited about and to love and to play. But then the more and more they showed of the game, the more and more I realized it was just some weeby ass shit that I didn't want a part of. And similar thing with Final Fantasy 13. I remember when Final Fantasy 13 came out, I was like, will this finally be the Final Fantasy game for me? And same thing. It was just so weeby and lame and it just didn't do it for me. So I played a couple of the tales games and that's the closest I've ever really gotten into these things but Scarlet Nexus looks like it's a little more like linear and action focused and and like narrow of a game and a little less like open and grindy like a traditional RPG so it, it looks like it's a little bit looser term of like an RPG game but that 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 only makes me more excited for this game the art style is crazy the the enemies look really crazy I think the game looks really really phenomenal and I think it's also really interesting that despite this being you know, also a PlayStation game, they've got the marketing deal on Xbox. So it's just weird to see a Japanese RPG game being having the marketing association on Xbox. And obviously that's a very deliberate thing. We know Phil Spencer is trying to get 
more Japanese support on Xbox. So hopefully this helps, you know, get more people into these kinds of games on Xbox. I doubt it'll do much, make much of a dent or do much for them. But nonetheless, I'm excited for it. Um, it's it's very much not the kind of game I normally be into, which is why I'm even more excited about it because finally a game in the genre is speaking to me. So I'm really really hoping that this game hits home with me. Uh, there there is a chance I buy this game and end up being like, nah, this isn't it. I shouldn't I shouldn't have done this, but I'm fairly certain that this is a game I'll like, and I'm really really looking forward to playing it and experiencing something really really different. You know, last year I just tried in general to play more. Japanese games because I just feel like I played too many Western games and I wanted to expand my scope and have more, you know, like more, a more diverse array of games to enjoy just because especially usually Japanese developed games just feel and look and just have so much design uh, ingenuity that's just so drastically different from what we get here in the West. And so I played like Devil May Cry 5 and Resident Evil 3 and a guy into the Yakuza series. So varying degrees of weeby-ass Japanese games. And I really enjoyed a lot of those games. So I'm trying to keep that ball rolling. And I think Scarlet Nexus is going to be the next one for me. Oh, I also played Fantasy Star 2 online. I really I really want to get back to that game. But anyway, that's for a, di- that's for a different day. Uh, so Scarlet Nexus is my number three. But now for number two. Now we get into the really hot, juicy shit. I think my number two and number one picks are pretty obvious and probably a lot less exciting than my first three picks there. But whatever. My number two pick is Back for Blood, which should come as no surprise because I'm a Left 4 Dead whore. And this is basically just Left 4 Dead 3. So, you know, as you know, especially since the Game Awards, when they finally showed off the game and revealed more about it, this game is set to come out in June, and I am so, so pumped to get some more Left 4 Dead. Um, Back for Blood is basically everything we could have hoped for with the Left 4 Dead return. Uh, my only criticisms, you know, after getting a little exposure to the alpha was that I wish it was more like classic zombies instead of this weird, like, monster zombie thing they have going on. And I wish they didn't have, like, a more complex, like, loadout and card system like the game looks like it has. I just want it to be like, oh, you pick up weapons, you find, you shoot zombies. But for the most part, it seems like that's what the game is. And it really is 95%, you know, the Left 4 Dead you know and love, but brought modern. So I, I, I'm I just, there's not really much for me to say about this. Like, Back for Blood, I'm super pumped for it. I, I yearn for those, those like, 2008 days of, like, Call of Duty World at War Zombies, Left 4 Dead 1, Halo 3 multiplayer. So the fact that, uh... <laughs> The fact that, like, kind of in the past, you know, starting from this past November when Black Ops Cold War came out to this upcoming November, you know, we'll basically, within that 12-month period, have Call of Duty Cold War, uh, Halo Infinite, and Back for Blood, which will basically be like a, you know, modern trifecta of the games I loved back in, in the day, but for the Xbox Series X. So it's kind of really exciting for me because I'm like, wow, it's like, it's it's possible to think that by fall 2021... The games I'll be playing regularly on my Series X will just be the same fucking games I was playing like back in 2008. Just Left 4 Dead, Halo, and Call of Duty Zombies again. So I'm really looking forward to this game in particular. And uh, I think I think it will definitely deliver. I think it will definitely scratch that itch. But more so than that, because I'm pretty confident this game has what I'm looking for. I'm just hoping that this game does strike a chord with other audiences and, and, and do well because... Well, first of all, Turtle Rock, developer Turtle Rock needs a hit, especially after Evolve just bombing in 2015 when that came out. Like, you know, not commercial, not not commercially, but just kind of longevity-wise and critically bombing. They, they really need a hit on their hands to kind of put them back on the map. And 
I'm hoping that we can get back to a point, a time and place where everyone's back to enjoying Left 4 Dead, all is right in the world, and uh, and uh, children are getting a good night's rest in a safe home, surrounded by loving love a loving family because Back for Blood is filling that Left 4 Dead 3 void. So that's my number two. Again, not 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 too much to say about that. Like, I, what do you want me to say? I just I just fucking love shooting zombies, and I love that co-op frantic. Uh, Left 4 Dead like experience. So my number one game, and this this is the least exciting for me to talk about, obviously because, like, if you ever listen to a second of the show, you know what the answer is because I probably subliminally just been saying Halo after every other word since episode one. But Halo Infinite, of course, is my number one game. I have even less to say about this than I do for Back for Blood because all I fucking do on the show is talk about Halo Infinite and for 2021 what do you think i'm excited for it's it's halo infinite man so i mean unless a sonic game comes out this year this is my solid top five list you know um fuck i mean with halo infinite i was literally thinking about this on my drive home from work today like if you think about it long and hard enough about like how excited we were for halo infinite last summer when we finally got a gameplay reveal thinking wow we're gonna be playing this in just a few short months I can hardly wait. And now here we are at the beginning of 2021 and we're just like, got to wait 11 more months to play this game. I'm like, I don't, if I think about it too much, I don't actually know how I'm going to get through those 11 months. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, 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 like work on my relationship with my girlfriend and spend time with my family and focus on my career and live my life. Like, of course not. Like I, I gotta, I gotta get to Halo Infinite. That's my objective in life right now. So it's just hard for me to imagine how the fuck I'm going to go from January 2021 not having Halo Infinite to November 2021 having Halo Infinite and somehow not go insane in, in that gap. And I guess that's what games 5 through 2 are all about is keeping me sane until Halo Infinite gets here. But I'm just so, so excited for Halo Infinite in a way I never get excited for games. So it's it's a difficult feeling for me because it's such a, a foreign one. Usually... When I'm excited about a game, I can wait. I can be patient. There is always something else I've been trying to play, looking for time to play, meaning to get around to on my backlog. But everything gets put on hold when Halo comes around, okay? Listen, when Chief has a story to tell, I don't give a shit what's going on. You sit your ass down because because Halo don't wait for nobody. But we wait for Halo, apparently. A very long time we wait for Halo. So those are my top five games. Like I said, feel free to let me know what your picks are. I think that would not, not picks are like like Disney Pixar picks are like as in what your picks uh for most anticipated games of 2021 are. I would love to hear them. And with that said, I want to kind of round out this episode by just going through the list of Xbox games coming out in 2021 to just kind of give you a scope and a tease of like what it is we have to be looking forward to in 2021. So I tried to organize these by month of release, but once you get past like the spring, it really falls apart into this whole like vaguely 2021 release window kind of thing. So we'll, we'll kind of read the list as organized as possible, but not much we can do about it. So in the month of January, which is now it's January, 2021, we have two notable Xbox Series X, Xbox One games coming out. The first one is Hitman 3, which comes out on January 20th by IO Interactive. 
I don't have much to say about this one. I mean, it's more Hitman. I know people who love Hitman love this franchise. I know my girlfriend loves these Hitman games, so she'll probably be interested to see that. But Hitman coming out on the 20th of this month, and then the week after that, on the 28th, Bloober Team's The Medium comes out. And I think The Medium... You know, it's a game I'm, I'm pretty interested and excited to try out. But the thing about this game is there's kind of a lot riding on it because it's kind of quietly become like the first big console exclusive for the Xbox Series X somehow. And a lot of much like in the way that like Ratchet and Clank is like the first true PS5 exclusive. I think the medium is kind of the first true Xbox exclusive because Ratchet and Clank has that whole like switching between worlds on the fly thing, which really takes advantage of like the the SSD of the PS5 and the medium has kind of a similar thing where it's like rendering two versions of the same world at the same time in real time, uh, which is a very like next gen feature that, you know, probably wouldn't look or run as well on older hardware. Although I guess we'll find out because I think this game's available on Xbox one, but in a way the medium feels kind of like the first big like Xbox release for the console, which is odd because it's kind of like a more niche horror game. But hey, we'll take what we can get at this point because there's just so little coming exclusively to Xbox at the moment. But the game looks really cool. I just don't know if it's going to be my particular type of game. I know it seems like people are generally pretty interested in this game. It doesn't seem like it's got a shit ton of hype behind it, but it seems like people are aware of it and to some extent anticipating it. So I am pretty excited to see how people react to this game and what it ends up being like because... I don't know, just Xbox needs a win right now, and I think it'd be fun to just see people excited about a new Xbox game, that's all. Uh, and then in February, we've got Outriders, which comes out on February 2nd, developed by People Can Fly, published by Square Enix. This is that first-person shooter. It's like a co-op first-person shooter from People Can Fly, who are the developers of Bulletstorm. Actually, a lot of a lot of old Gears of War people used to work or worked at People Can Fly, so probably some ex-Gears of War talent working on this game. Honestly, Outriders is a weird game because I keep seeing this name pop up, and I knew it was coming out around this time of the year, but, like, no one's talking about it. I feel like there's been, like, no gameplay shows or, or for the most part. Or like, no one's really... No one seems to really be... I don't know just in any way preoccupied with this game's existence. So I'm kind of interested to see if it's going to be just a big flop or if it's going to be a surprise hit. But nonetheless, that's definitely something worth keeping an eye out on if you're interested in another first-person shooter to kind of fill out your probably long list of FPSs on Xbox. But then in March, we've got a couple of noticeable games. we got It Takes Two, developed by Haze Light, published by EA. This comes out on March 26th. Now, this is the next game from that Fuck the Oscar guys from the Game Award um, who made A Way Out. And it's another one of those, like, buy one copy, get the second copy free because it's a co-op game. We saw a lot of this game at the Game Awards. I think it looks kind of fun and interesting. And, you know, they're touting how the game is, like, really focused on having some crazy and really, like, movie-like dialogue for a video game and just being a very immersive game because it constantly has well-written, focused dialogue constantly accompanying the story rather than just kind of being more game first story second and so that's that's exciting in and of itself but the game doesn't look all that like exciting to me it's that it's that game where like the couple gets turned into toys and until they can learn to work together they are going to be stuck as toys in order to get back to being human so it's a fun premise it looks like a somewhat fun game i just definitely just don't have any interest in this personally but other than that balan wonderland comes out on the 26th as well uh, published by Square and developed by Yuji Naka, the creator of Sonic the Hedgehog. That's really the only reason why this game's on my radar at all, but the game actually kind of looks like shit. I don't know what it is. It looks like Knights in Dreamland 
plus a hat in time equals some fucking weird Japanese fever dream. I, I don't really know what to make of this game, but I'm, I'm, I'm keeping an eye out on it. I might play just because I'm such a big Sonic fan and I, I want to love Yuji Naka, although I think at this point Yuji Naka has proven that he is just as capable of making awful games as he is at making great games, so we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, and then we get to April where I have nothing to, nothing written down. Nothing's really locked in for April yet. So for the month of May, we've got Far Cry 6, of course, coming out on the 26th, which we just talked about extensively, being published by Ubisoft Toronto, which is actually one of my favorite Ubisoft teams. So I'm really hoping they do a great job. That's the Starlink team. And then also coming out on May 10th, we've got Hood Outlaws and Legends being developed by Sumo Digital and published by Focus Home Interactive. I really love Sumo Digital, but... Hood Outlaws and Legends did nothing for me when I saw it at the Game Awards. I think this game looks just kind of boring. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure this game is going to be for a lot of people, and I think this has the potential to be one of those, like, kind of like, I, I don't know, like, near Autonoma or, like, Sekiro level of, like, not Sekiro, but uh, what's the other one called? The one by the people that make Ninja Gaiden. But whatever, like, one of those games where it's like, oh, not many people were thinking about this game, and then it came out, and it kind of quickly sold a, a cool two, three million units and and did pretty well. And it was one of the like more quiet, lower budget hits of the year that I, I don't know. I think that I just see this as being one of those games that has that kind of potential, but we'll have to wait and see. I, I just don't personally give too many shits about that. And then in June, we have Back for Blood coming out on June 22nd. We just talked about that as well. Developed by Turtle Rock. It's the basically the sequel to Left 4 Dead 2. And it's being published by Warner Bros. Obviously one of my most anticipated games of the year. Cannot wait for that one to come out. But then after that, the rest of the games I have listed here don't have specific month or date release days, just vague 2021 release windows. So we'll go through the rest of those in a more vague order. But Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga from TT Games is supposed to come out this year. Now, that game is really weird to me because I think it was first announced in like 2018. I think it was announced like right before Rise of Skywalker ever even came out. And they just keep talking about this game, but it's like, why the fuck is a Lego game getting... I mean, I know COVID, but, like, why is this game being delayed so much? Like, it's a fucking Lego game. And I understand there's a ton of content in it, but it's just really unusual to see a Lego game kind of take this long to develop or to have such a a long, like, announcement-to-release kind of time frame. But nonetheless, apparently that's supposed to come out this year. We'll see if it actually does. I'd be shocked if it didn't, but... At the same time, I've been shocked by how long it's taken so far. After that, we've got R-Type Final 2 from uh, Grenzella coming out. I don't, I never really played any of the R-Type games, but I know people like them a lot, so I thought I'd put that down there. Ghost Runner is coming to Xbox this year. That game was really popular when it came to PC last year. It's being developed by All In Games and published by 505. I have a lot of interest in playing this, uh, this game, but I just I don't know when I'll get around to it. Other than that, uh, Crossfire X is coming out in 2021 now remember this is the next crossfire game which is by smilegate it's that popular free-to-play korean fps game which is basically just like counter-strike um but crossfire x will have a campaign to it a very call of duty-esque campaign um but it's being developed by remedy the guys behind alan wake quantum break control so this is really really interesting that they're doing this and I'm pretty excited to give this a try just because I love Remedy and I'd love to see them take a crack at like a Call of Duty style FPS. So I'm all in for that. This game was also supposed to come out in the fall of 2021 and then just never came out 
that fall. So obviously it got delayed, but I, I'm curious as to how much of a delay it got and when we'll actually see this game again, because I would definitely like to play this. This is definitely up my on on my short list of uh of honorable mentions, things that didn't make my list. So that's Crossfire X. I assume they're just trying to use this remedy produced campaign as like kind of a a taste to get people in the door, to get them away from Rainbow Six and away from Call of Duty and away from Counter Strike and get some Americans and Westerners and, and shit like that into this uh into this popular Korean FPS game. Next we got Hogwarts Legacy, which is supposed to come out sometime this year, being developed by Avalanche Software, the team behind Disney Infinity, once owned by Disney, of course. The game's being published by WB Games. The only reason I give a shit about this game at all is because I fucking love Avalanche Software. I miss them so much. I miss them they were owned by Disney. I miss when they were doing Disney Infinity. I, I, I love this team so much. This is one of those weird teams where I'm like, if I could have like any dream job in the world, I'd work at 343 and be a part of Halo. Or I'd work at Avalanche and work on like Disney Infinity. <laughs> but that'd be like my dream job. But uh, I mean, it, it's, it's weird because they're one of my favorite developers and I'm so glad that they survived, you know, after Disney tried to kill them off, that WB swooped in and, and resurrected them and saved them. Uh, but at the same time, I'm so sad because I don't give a shit about Harry Potter and I don't I don't want to play a Harry Potter game. But I, I might actually give this game a try just out of pure love for Avalanche and, and interest to see how they did with making a high big budget Harry Potter game. Aside from that, if I can just say, I just, I, I feel like I gotta say something nice about Harry Potter because I, I just too often shit on it. But if I can say one nice thing about Harry Potter, I was thinking about this earlier this week when I put this game on the list. One thing I do respect a lot about Harry Potter is, you know, unlike Star Wars or unlike Marvel or something like that, I think Harry Potter in the Wizarding World or whatever, they do a really good job with maintaining the thematic and artistical integrity, artistic integrity of the Harry Potter universe, because obviously the Harry Potter aesthetic was, you know, largely minimized to like the book covers, you know, until they made that first movie. But once they made that first Harry Potter movie, I really respect how it's like everyone who's ever had their hands on Harry Potter since that movie came out has kind of unanimously agreed like, Hey, this is the art style. This is the aesthetic and in the kind of approach to what Harry Potter and Harry Potter like worlds look and feel like. And I've always kind of respected that about Harry Potter. That's like, there's just always that cohesiveness in like thematic and, and uh, artistic design, you know, with, with Harry Potter, it's not like Marvel where you can have like a hundred versions of every character or like star Wars where like the prequels look like something completely different from like the originals. I don't know. I, I've always appreciated that aspect. And I know that's JK Rowling is like a really hands-on person with the wizarding world. And there's a lot of, effort to do kind of like a Lucas, a Lucasfilm thing where they have like, where they're like really secretive of the, or protective of the IP and controlling over what kinds of things can be done with it. So I assume that's a very intentional thing they do, but that's, that's the one nice thing I'll say about Harry Potter. Other than that, I don't really give a shit about the boy who lived, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he could have been the boy who died because what's so special about a British kid with a scar that looks like a lightning bolt. Anyway, Psychonauts 2 is also supposed to come out this, this year. Remember that guys? Developed by Double Fine, now Xbox-owned studio. Psychonauts 2 will be their last multi-platform game. Of course, they have to fulfill their promise to Kickstarter backers who originally, you know, financially supported this game back when it was supposed to be a third-party game on all platforms. So 
after the Psychonauts. I, one, I'm excited to see how Psychonauts 2 turns out. I still need to go back and finish the first game. But two, I'm excited to see what Double Fine gets to work on after this for their first, you know, completely exclusive Xbox-owned game. So that's exciting. And then, of course, we got Halo Infinite, which we won't talk about because it's the biggest game coming to Xbox this year, but also the most excruciating to talk about. Obviously, we got the Ascent, which we just talked about from Neon Giant coming out at some point. And then Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis coming from Sega. Now, this is a really good one. Um, I really want to get back to Fantasy Star Online 2, as I was saying earlier. I just It's hard to find the time for a game like this because it's a game that demands you to play it almost exclusively. But yeah, I'm really excited to get around to it at some point. Um, the New Genesis update adds a lot of content, but also kind of overhauls the engine, upgrades the graphics, makes it look a little more modern for a game that otherwise looks pretty dated, to be honest, because I think it's still running off its like 2012 engine. So that's coming out this year. Then we got Rainbow Six Quarantine coming from Ubisoft later in the year. I assume that will be a fall game. Uh, I know a lot of you are probably excited about that because you like that nerdy-ass Rainbow Six Siege bullshit. Then we got The Gunk coming from Image and Form, the creators of, of the SteamWorld series. The Gunk is another one of those like Xbox, I think, exclusives, console exclusive, PC and console. Uh, this game looks okay. I, I, when they first announced it, I was like, 100% like, I don't care about that. And then the more and more I look back on it, the more I'm like, oh, there's something to this game. There's something about the gunk that looks like it's an Xbox original game. Like, it looks like it belongs on, like, the OG Xbox in 2002. And I really dig that quality of the gunk. But I don't know. I need to see more gameplay and, and get a feel for it. Luckily, it'll be on Game Pass, so there's that. But I, I'm not... I'm, like, mildly interested in it, but also I know I, it's probably just not for me, but... Evil Dead, the game, comes out this year. Saber Interactive is developing it. Boss Team Games is publishing it, which makes no sense to me, but I'm really excited to learn more about this game as well. I don't want it to be a 4v1 game, but apparently it is. I want it to be a Left 4 Dead type game, but we'll have to wait and also see more on that. Hoping, hoping, hoping against all odds that game ends up being actually pretty cool, but we'll have to wait and see. And then Stalker 2 comes out this year. Uh, from GSC Games Game World. This is the first Stalker game to be on console, and it is Xbox exclusive. This game looks really, really good to me. I'm definitely excited to play this, like that horror FPS kind of game. I don't know. I'm super intrigued by this. This is another perfect example of like this thing Xbox is really leaning into, which is like their kind of PC heritage and the studios they used to work with more on PC and trying to bring more of that to the Xbox ecosystem and make more of that exclusive to Xbox and kind of play into like the windows gaming kind of past and, and bring that with Xbox and, and really solidify that to help strengthen the Xbox brand. And I think stalker two is a, is a game that looks very much at home on the Xbox and I cannot wait to see more of it because it, it looks really good from what we saw from its reveal last year. And I know it's been, you know, technically in the works forever, but hopefully this is a game that we truly do get our hands on either this year or, or next year. But for now, it says this year, so we'll we'll see. Then Resident Evil Village is set to come out this game this year. You know, from Capcom, I believe that will obviously be out this year. They seem to be on a pretty good annual release cadence with Resident Evil, so that will be more of a traditional sequel to Resident Evil Seven, uh, which I still need to go back and finish. But this game looks pretty pretty damn cool. Next, we got this, uh, Scorn from Ebb Software. This game I was pretty excited for. It's another kind of like first person, like gory horror game. Um, I was pretty interested in this game until Xbox showed off like an extensive gameplay demo around the beginning of December on YouTube. 
And I watched it. And I was like, wow, this looks really slow and boring. It looks kind of like, I don't know. It just looks like something you would have played on PC like 20 years ago, but doesn't look great. And um, I'm hoping I'm wrong about it, but I, I'm not really, I, I don't see too much potential in this game, but hopefully I'm wrong. And then we got Lord of the Rings Gollum from the Dalek Entertainment. Another game that I'm not totally convinced is coming this year, but it's it's slated for 2021, and I know a bunch of nerds are excited about it, and I won't I won't talk about it. Lord of the Rings, another another series that mostly has that Harry Potter thing where it's kind of well a well controlled IP, but maybe not as well as Harry Potter. But whatever, I don't want to talk about these nerdy things. And then our our list kind of comes to a close with these these last few, but some really good ones here. Next is Open Roads from Fulb- Fulbright, the people who made Gone Home in Tacoma. Open Roads is a game I'm very excited for. This is also on that short list of games that barely just didn't make my list. But Open Roads announced at the Game Awards. I think this game looks phenomenal. It, they showed that trailer of that girl talking about, like, you know, like her grandma died and her and her mom want to, like, uncover all this stuff about their past that they didn't know. And, and, and I don't know, it just looks like a very narrative-driven, like, walking simulator-type game that's right up my alley. So I'm really excited to see more about whatever the hell Open Roads is. Fulbright makes phenomenal games, so I have full faith that they're going to put out something pretty awesome this time, as they always do. Um, so that's that coming out sometime this year. And then Scarlet Nexus from Bandai Namco, which we already mentioned. Uh, after that, Warhammer 40k Dark Tide set to come out this year. This is also a Left 4 Dead-like game. It is a, a sci-fi shooter horde game in the Warhammer universe. So I'm pretty excited about this one because I think it looks awesome. It looks like everything I wanted Vermintide to be, but it wasn't. And uh, I don't know. I, th- I I know people are like pretty into the Warhammer games. It has like a small but passionate fan base. But I think Darktide has the potential to be the one that, you know, gives them as much recognition as this series is probably going to get, you know. So it, it looks promising. It looks really fun. And it's going to be on Game Pass. So, yeah, I mean, why the hell not? I can't. I, I'm definitely excited to give it a try when it comes out at some point this year. I the developer's name. It's like Shark something. Bat Shark, I think, is the name. I don't know. And then the next game here is Second Extinction from Systemic Reaction. Now, this game, I think, is already in alpha on PC, or it's been out on PC. I don't know. But it looks pretty cool. It's coming to Xbox later on in the year. This game, this is weird. This is one of those games where it's like, I think it it's visually too good to be true. It's probably going to end up being a pretty, like weird niche game that doesn't end up taking off all that much but from the trailer the whole like Turok Left 4 Dead dinosaur looking thing is pretty promising it's just like you get awesome guns and you get to shoot the fuck out of dinosaurs and that looks really promising but there's a good chance that what what we're seeing here is something that's probably too good to be true it's probably not that good of a game where it's gonna be like a kind of niche PC thing I don't know but I'm, I'm hoping to be wrong about that game but not holding my breath. Then we got Exo Exomecha. It's a, fr- a free-to-play first-person shooter game from developer Twisted Red, where it's like Exo, like running futuristic FPS, but then you get mechs and you fight like dra- robot dragons and dinosaurs. It looks pretty damn cool, but also looks like another one of those you know games where maybe a little niche, maybe a little more visual style and, and substance over actual game. Um, but I, I'm keeping a pin on it just to see if something comes of it. And then last last two here, we've got Flight Simulator coming to Xbox this summer from Asobo. Um, obviously, it's been out on PC, but finally we're getting it on Xbox, which I'm excited about. That's going to be a true next-gen game because it's not on Xbox One. It's only on Series X, 
and it's a pretty next-gen looking experience. So pretty excited to try that game out, although I don't think I'll be all that into it just because it's a little too nerdy for my liking. And lastly, from WB Games Montreal, we got Gotham Knights coming, which I know a lot of people are excited for. That's the one we could play as like the multiple Batmans, the four-player co-op. Um, looks pretty decent. I I have a weird thing with those Batman games from 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 WB because like they look good, they look fun, but I just hate the Batman IP, so it's hard for me to give them a try. But I have no doubt that they're probably good games. But yeah, I'm, I know a lot of people are probably looking forward to that game, so. Expect that sometime in 2021, and then I think Justice League killed the, or Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. It's supposed to come out next year, the year after Gotham Knights. So that's it for the 2021 Xbox lineup. That's all the big games I believe as of now. Obviously, a lot of those games will slip into 2022 and beyond, and a lot of those games will will come out, and then a lot of games we didn't mention will be announced and released this year. So. Obviously, that's not everything that's happening, but it's a good snapshot. It's a good starting place here in January. A good way to start our expectations and orient our view of what Xbox will look like in 2021. Obviously, it's lacking some really strong first-party support, but I think just in terms of pure fun games coming out, obviously, it looks like we got a great list, so... That's all I have for this week, guys. That's kind of what I wanted to do. Remember, if you want to come in with your top five most anticipated games of 2021, feel free to leave those comments. Other than that, we can, yeah, as a quick reminder, you know, games with gold for the month of January. We've got Little Nightmares available for the whole month. We've got Dead Rising available from January 16th to February 15th. You've got The King of Fighters 8 or King of Fighters 13, my bad. Uh, from January 1st to 15th, and then break down the Xbox original from January 16th through 31st. So be sure to download your games with gold this this month to get your free games, get your gamer score. Um, but aside from that, we are done with the first episode of the year for 2021. So thanks for bearing with us, guys. Um, we'll see you next week. Hopefully next week we'll be back to our regular news episodes um, but I've enjoyed these past two weeks of kind of doing something a little less formal, a little more impromptu. I think it's been fun. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as well. If not, oh fucking well, we'll be back to our regular stuff soon enough. Uh, but happy 2021 to everyone. Hope you guys have a great year. Thank you so much for supporting the show last year. And hopefully we can have a great time this year, uh, doing more of this, uh, this crazy, stupid show. So thank you for listening guys. And until next week, power your dreams.